<clears throat> Morning, everyone. Um, thank you so much for um, the myriad of encouragement I've had from people coming through this morning. Um, I'll give you a few examples. I won't name any names. Uh, one wonderful couple I've known for many years saw me coming in and made a point of walking out, which was great. Um, and obviously a number of people have said to me about throwing tomatoes at me, which is great. And they even promised to take them out the tins first. So thank you for that. Grace, you're showing me. Um, I'm the youth pastor here, so I have the privilege and delight, and I really don't mean that sarcastically, of leading the youth group, who are a great bunch. Um, and uh, basically, I'm here to bring what I believe God has given us this morning. Um, I'm quite nervous about it, because I actually believe God has given me something to talk about handling difficulty and suffering. Um, and I just want to say about Angela's contribution this morning, that it was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? It was so wonderful and uh, such heartfelt, and it summarised really what I believe God wants to say to us this morning. Um, So, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to John 11, that would be great. How we um, deal with suffering and how we deal with difficulty is rooted in into our understanding of who God is and what God does. We're going to look at the story of Jesus and Lazarus this morning. Um, There's some wonderful um, examples from the heart of Jesus about how we can handle tough times in our life. Um, I want to welcome up Natalie Williams, who's going to read to us the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Um, We're going to be looking at verse 1, and we're reading from the ESV version, the English Standard Version. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after those two days, Jesus travelled to Bethany and going on to verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. 
Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you that you are so, so kind. I want to thank you, you're so good to us, and you're a God of love who watches over us. You're our ever-present help. And Lord, I want to pray for this morning that you would minister by your spirit, through your love, to people here who are in suffering, who are facing difficulty and trials of all different kinds. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them this morning. Lord, I pray you would speak to them. I pray you would encourage them. Lord, I pray you would... Lord, bring all kinds of reassurance and reaffirmation they would need in this season. Lord, I pray you'd help me this morning. Lord, you'd be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three lies that the devil loves to use against us when we go through difficult times uh, in suffering in our life. Firstly, the devil will lie to us and say, we're suffering because God isn't in control. Secondly, he'll say, we're suffering because he doesn't love us. God doesn't love us, and that's why you're going through difficulty. And thirdly, the devil will say something like, you're suffering because God isn't, or doesn't want to, or cannot intervene and change things. And this passage that we're going to look at this morning, it refutes each of those lies. It shows us, in the midst of a story of suffering, and pain, and grief, and bereavement, three things about who God is even in the midst of the dark times of life. My first point is God is the God who reigns. God is the God who reigns. Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is ill. And he waits. I don't know about you, but when I've heard recently family members are ill or have gone through a tragedy, I rushed straight away, I dropped everything I was doing, and I got there as quickly as I possibly could. That's a normal human reaction. But Jesus waits. Why? And he says in the scripture, he says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus, even in the dark, difficult time, was focused primarily on the glory of God. In all things, everything that was happening, he has faith and looks for a way that God will be honoured, God will be glorified, God will be praised, God will be extolled, as Sam said. And that's an attitude for us that gives us a model through difficult times for us. Even in the suffering of Mary and Martha, even in the pain of the loss of his friends, Jesus is looking at the situation and believing God will come out good through it, that God will work in it. And we see that in scripture, don't we, throughout the whole of the Bible. God is a God of redemption. Throughout scripture, there's so many stories of God taking something that is dark and painful and tragic and making it, taking the heartache and the pain away and turning it into something beautiful and something wonderful and something praiseworthy. Maybe we've got times in our lives where we've had a season and all of a sudden God has come in and changed and transformed it into something wonderful. Think about scripture and think about stories like Joseph, who was sold as a slave, sold from his home all the way over to Egypt when he lived in Israel. And God worked in it and he ended up being the prime minister of that nation and administrating all the food in a famine that saved many, many lives. Think about the Exodus with the Hebrew people, a slave race, 400 years in captivity, being made to build the pyramids. 
And yet God rescued them in such spectacular way and brought them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. Think about the story of Ruth. I love the story of Ruth. A non-Jewish woman, a widow, condemned to poverty, condemned to a life of uncertainty, and yet rescued by a godly man who ends up marrying her and they have children. Think about David, a forgotten shepherd boy, outcast, left in the fields, but God uses and works in his life and turns him into a giant killer and a king. And the main story of the Bible, Jesus, who comes for sinful, broken, hurting, fragile, wounded men and women and connects them with God. God's plan has always been to transform pain into life and laughter. And Romans 8.28, a verse many of us know really well, echoes that. We know that for those who love God, he works all things for the good. In all things God can and is working things together for good. That's a hard thing, particularly with some of the realities of life that we face. The circumstances that many of us, all of us, have or had experience. Things like poor health and sickness. Work situations. Perhaps you're in a difficult job situation. Perhaps unemployment. What about financial difficulties, financial struggles? Trying to make ends meet. Family difficulties, maybe with children, maybe with parents. Singleness, long-term singleness and struggling with that. What about family and friends who have turned away from God and have backslidden? What about family and friends who don't know Jesus? And like the story of Lazarus, mourning, grief, bereavement, difficulties that we all face, have faced and will face. It takes faith to respond in those circumstances and say, God is working this out for good. It takes real faith. It's difficult and it's hard. It takes faith. Hebrews 11 tells us what faith is. Faith is believing God for things that we haven't yet seen. And Hebrews 11.3 says that faith comes before understanding. So faith, actually godly faith, sometimes means we believe things and hope for things and trust things that we don't actually understand. We can't work out in our heads. We don't get. Think about some of the things that we believe as Christians. It takes faith to believe some of the things that we do. It takes faith to believe all the things that we do. But we don't understand them. I don't understand the Trinity. I don't understand the Incarnation. I believe something I don't understand. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is. And faith is believing that God will do what he says he will do. And I've noticed in my life that in all circumstances, all these things, I've got a choice often how I'm going to respond and how I'm going to react. What's my point of view? What's my thinking? What's my centre in difficulty? If I'm more anti-aware, I'm more aware of myself and I'm more aware of my emotions and my needs, my concerns, my doubts, my worries. I actually start responding and reacting out of fear. I'm scared. 
terrified, I'm uncertain, I'm insecure. And it takes time and it takes work to make myself more God-aware. Does anyone relate to that? It's like, God, I want to put you in the centre. God, I want to make you number one. Because I know, when I'm saturated with the presence of God, I look at things with a different perspective. It's not that the circumstances always change, but my understanding and my perception of things change. My eyes are lifted up. Rather than looking through a microscope, it's like I'm looking through a telescope and I've got an understanding of the big picture. God, I want to be more God-aware than ant-aware. That takes faith. The Bible says we can walk by sight or we can walk by faith. Proverbs says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways commit to him. Do I trust these? Do I trust this? Do I trust this? And it changes every single day. Last night, I was so, I was nervous, to be honest, about preaching. And I had these quite random dreams, to be honest. And I had the classic one of, I woke up in the middle of the night going, it's half past 11, I've missed church, what's going to happen? Looked out the window, it's dark, street lights are on, no traffic, you'd think that would give me a clue, but no. Where's the clock, where's the clock? Oh, it's three o'clock. Oh, a bit sad. I had another random one, and I'm sure God isn't speaking to me, where I, <laughs> I was preaching, and I looked at my shoes, and I had one brown and one black one on. <laughs> So it took me half an hour to get dressed this morning. Are they black? Are they both black? What do you think? Second opinions. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Lift our heads. Psalms. I love the book of Psalms. It's such a real human book. Read Psalms. And so often there's this phrase... You are the lifter of my head. Lift your heads. Raise your guide. Look up. Look forwards. Don't look at the near. Look on. So how can we do that? Because pain's hard, isn't it? Difficulty is hard. Trouble's hard. That's why it's suffering. How can we do that? And I can only speak out of my own experience. I recently learned that I have to start to wear glasses for certain things. The, keen, the keenly observant ones of you, who are probably wearing your glasses, will notice that I'm not wearing my glasses. I'm still a little bit in denial. I'm still a little bit kind of trying to rebuke the ravages of age and old, you know, getting older and you know, all these sort of things. And the weird thing about the glasses and stuff is that one eye is absolutely fine, but the other eye is like long-sighted. So, I don't even know which one it is, to be honest. You know, someone tells me wear glasses and I'm just, I shut off and I'm just looking at the floor going, no, I don't receive it. I don't receive it. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I don't receive this. And, obviously, I could turn up wearing a monocle. <laughs> I mean, I work with young people in my proper job and here, so not really a, a goer, to be honest. Um, so, glasses. I need to embrace the fact of wearing glasses. Now, I have noticed that when I put my pride aside, when I wear glasses, they're actually really good. They actually help me things like read, (laughs) drive, and I need all the help I can get with that one. Um, (laughs) Who said amen? (laughs) Thank you, Santino. Just general things like seeing. Um, I've got really big letters on these pages. (laughs) When I wear glasses... It changes my perception. 
It changes my focus. It changes what I perceive and what comes into me. It helps me understand details and things that I wouldn't normally. It helps me see things differently and respond and react accordingly. Especially when driving. Things that can help us change our perspective, change our perception, change the details we see, particularly in times of difficulty and hardship, are things like the Bible, Scripture. Whether we read it, whether we listen to it, whether we watch it and watch seminars, watch sermons, watch videos, it helps us. The comfort and challenge of other Christians, like Matt said this morning, we're in the body of Christ and we need people sometimes to help us in how we look at things. Testimonies are fantastic. Like this morning we heard, testimonies from people who have gone through difficulty, gone through hardship, who are going through difficulty and suffering. Biographies are fantastic. Read about martyrs. It's not depressing, it's inspiring. John Piper on his website has a number of books available, free of charge, that you can download, which are biographies of Christians through the ages that are inspiring because of the hardships they go through. And of course, continual softening from the presence of God in prayer and in worship, where he just brings love and comfort to us. All these things remind us that God is indeed in control, that God indeed rules, God indeed reigns. And just like Jesus showed us, let's be a people who seeks a God-centred, God-informed perspective. Let's seek first the glory of God, even when it seems hard to find or not understandable. Let's seek that. Still with me? My second point is God is a God of love. In verse 33, Jesus sees Mary weeping for her brother and he is deeply moved. He is greatly troubled. In verse 35, Jesus weeps. The shortest verse in the Bible, no, actually 38, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, but the most profound. Even the Jews recognise the love that Jesus has for Lazarus. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. God in human form. God in flesh, clothed in skin and bone and muscle and veins and nerves. Jesus himself says in John 14, 19, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks, listen to what Jesus says. If you want to know what God feels, see how Jesus feels. Jesus is a God who weeps through pain. God is sovereign. He's in charge of everything. He rules and he reigns. But that doesn't mean that he's remote or distant or unattached. He loved us, us plural, us the church, but us the world, humanity, so much. He came on a rescue mission. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is the gospel. That's the good news. That's why we celebrate this morning. Jesus is the God 
who is familiar with suffering, he understands pain. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, from verse 3 says this about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. A God who knows rejection, a God who knows loneliness, sorrow, anguish. Jesus is intimately familiar with such things. He understands. He relates. Whatever it is that you may be going through today, he understands. Hebrews 4 says that we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. He understands. The death of Lazarus and the pain of Mary and Martha show us the heart of Jesus. We see how much he hurts, how much he aches, how much he grieves for his friend. And today, no matter what it is you're going through, Jesus knows. God knows. 2 Corinthians 1 says that God is the Father of mercies. The Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. He knows. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, he rules and he reigns. And yes, he works all things together for good. But he does that because he is good. He is good, like we sung this morning. He is a God of love. He is a God of goodness. He is a God of kindness. When we're in times of difficulty, it's hard to hold on to that. Think about the Lord's Prayer. The first son of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven. He's our Father. He's good and he's kind. He's faithful. He loves us. He protects us. He provides for us. He is there. He's ready to rescue us. But he's in heaven. He rules. He reigns. He's in charge. He's sovereign. He's majestic. The rock of ages. The ancient of days. All that truth encapsulated in the first line of the Lord's Prayer. Even when we start praying, we remember who God is and what he's done. And that is the filter and starting point for all our requests, our petition, our confession, our benediction, our God help, God where are you? Our Father who is in heaven. And because God is good, it's okay to be honest in prayer. It's absolutely okay to be honest in prayer. Psalm 88, and I would really encourage you to read Psalm 88. And read it thinking, what is this about the intimacy of prayer? It challenged and transformed how I understood prayer. It's a wonderful, wonderful psalm. I had a time in my life where basically just everything went wrong. Everything went wrong. You know, you get those seasons where everything goes wrong. And it's on one level, you can be glib about it and, you know, the car breaks and, uh, you know, I burn all my food. That's part of the course with me anyway. Um, everything was going wrong. But also, major things went wrong. Relationships, friendships, work. It was a very difficult time. I suppose I can sum it up in a, in a... This is a true story. It's kind of funny, but not at the time. I was sitting, praying. I was at a point where, you know when you get to the end of yourself, you're just like, I don't even know if I want to pray anymore. Anyone relate to that? What's the point? Why do I want to pray? And you kind of 
try to, but you sit there and your heart's not really in it like God. And like Mary in the story, all I could say was, Lord, come. And it didn't matter how many different ways I said it and how many different ways and words I used, I was at the end of myself. And I was sitting in some woods praying, God, where are you? God, help. And a squirrel, little thing, yeah, jumped down. And now squirrels normally just obviously don't do those sort of things. Um, came about a two, three foot away from me, looked up at me, and I looked at this squirrel in the eye, and for some reason I burst into tears. Now, it wasn't a particularly ferocious squirrel. Okay? There were no blood stains around its teeth. It didn't have a big knife in one hand and a gun in the other. It didn't have like a pack mentality. There wasn't 30,000 squirrels behind it on the horizon. It didn't have like a, you know, a threatening letter to give to me or anything like this. I, and even as I'm weeping, weeping, I'm like, it's a squirrel. What is this all about? I don't know. But it was like I was at the end of myself. I was at the end of myself. I was, God, you must rescue me. God, you must deliver me. God, you must step in. In scripture, God rescues time and time again. God delivers. He comes through. He comes in. Things seem hopeless and God steps in. But God, he intervenes and he acts because he's a God of love. In that season, all I could do was pray through Psalms and one Psalm a day. That's all I could manage. I took a Psalm a day and I prayed through it. Every word, every line, thanking God for what was in there, claiming if it was a, pros- a, a, a promise, echoing and responding if it's something that connected with me. Every day, one psalm. And I saw this pattern. I saw this pattern through it all. Many of the psalms speak of God as the most high. The most high. Not other things higher. The most high. Sovereign, in charge, king. Other psalms refer to God as being steadfast, loyal, faithful, committed, dedicated, ever-present, loving. And through all of that, I learned that the Most High God is steadfast for me. The Most High God is steadfast for me. I can honestly say, in hindsight, and not the time, but now I look back, and I can thank God for that time and all the things that went on in it, Because God changed me and God shaped me. But also, I learnt more about God. I learnt more about God's goodness. I learnt more about his faithfulness. I learnt more about his mercy, his protection, his provision, that he's a rescuer, that he's a deliverer, that God steps in, that God is always aware. I learnt all those things through that time. I was convinced of his love for me. And Romans 8, 38, we know it so well. I am sure that neither death nor life, angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Just like Jesus showed us, let's be a people who hold on to the goodness and the kindness of God, even in difficulty. He's our Father, he's for us, he wants us to prosper. He loves us passionately. And Jesus held on to that, even through the pain of the death of Lazarus. My third point, my final point, is that God is the God who speaks. Jesus cries out, Lazarus, come out! And he walks out. Jesus speaks and things are transformed forever. 
in an instant, things are never the same again. Because God has spoken. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God speaks and there's light. God speaks and there's life. God speaks the very universe into existence. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus upholds, sustains, keeps it running, the universe, by the word of his power. When God speaks, things happen. Isaiah 55, a passage we know well, says this about God's words. God's words, he says, my word goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall, it shall accomplish what I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing that I sent it. God's words have power, and when he speaks, he acts, he intervenes. He doesn't speak foolishly. There's no words that come from God that don't do anything. Everything God says and speaks gets happening, what God wants to happen. And we see that all through scripture, don't we? All through scripture. The burning bush, the call of Moses. Moses, go and set my people free. I've heard their suffering, their affliction has risen to me. God speaks and a man is sent and the people are free. Mount Carmel, Elijah. Fire from heaven when dealing with the priests and prophets of false gods. He prays, God, let the people know that you are God. God speaks and fire comes down. The incarnation. God coming as a man. God walking the earth as a man, with all the same physical needs that we have, with emotions. God speaks, he acts. Jesus comes. He comes to rescue humanity from his sin. And what about the amazing, the most amazing example of God's intervention and God's action? The cross. The cross of Jesus. Where this God-man who walked perfectly, who worked flawlessly, who never sinned, is tortured and killed and nailed to a cross, bearing the brunt and the fullness of the wrath and anger and hatred of God for all the sin of all of us, all humans, everywhere, through all ages of history, so that we can come and connect with God as our Father, as our friend. Isn't that wonderful, the Gospel? Our God is a God who takes the initiative. He acts, he speaks. And we see this through Psalms. Many Psalms, when you read them, show the author struggling with something. God, where are you? God, what's going on? What's happening? But then they lift their eyes. They remember what God has done in the past. They remember their past, their history as a people. Let's just think now for a moment. Think about our lives. Think about times in our life where God has come through. Maybe you have stories where God has provided. Times when God has protected. When God has delivered and rescued you from something. Times when God has given you direction and in a moment your life has changed and gone in a different direction because God has intervened. Do we all have stories like that? Yes, we do. The psalmists choose to remember those occasions in their life. And as they remember the past, they then have a different perspective in the present. They have hope. 
in the present. And they have faith for the future. And they write and read it in the Psalms. The Psalms also change tact. But you have done this. You have done this, God, therefore you will do this. You have done this in my past, my future is safe and secure. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And there are a number of things in this psalm that we can thank God for. And if we're in suffering, in difficulty, in trials, they still stand. Let me read it to you. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, our sin, forgiven. Who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, he rescues. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. We all can relate to a number of things in that psalm, can't we? Because God is good. He acts, he speaks. And sometimes it can seem like God has forgotten us. Or he isn't listening to our prayers. And psalms like that help us, remind us, help us remember that we don't ever need to lose hope. We don't ever need to think that God is powerless to act or intervene because we're reminded of our own history where God has come through for us. So how do we fight the temptation to think that God isn't going to step in? When I had my time and I had my wobbles, like, God, are you going to do anything or do I need to do it myself? I found things, certain things helped me. I found that remembering what God had done for me actually helped me keep a soft and thankful heart. It helped me keep a heart of gratitude. And it helped me look, even in my day-to-day life, about all the little things that God gives. Because God gives grace gifts throughout the day, doesn't he? Grace gifts through the day, through the week, through the month. Little things, big things. God is a gracious, good God. And by keeping a soft heart, it helped me to realise and see he was with me. He was there. He was my ever-present need. Philippians 1 says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God starts something, he'll finish it. That's the God we deal with. He doesn't do half jobs. He's not like me and my DIY, which are bot jobs, or I'll do it tomorrow and it always go in. God finishes what he says he will. Jeremiah tells us God's got a plan. He's going to prosper us, give us, do us good, give us fruit. Who can thwart the plans of God? Who can oppose the plans of God? Can the evil one? No. Because he has to ask God for permission. It's in Job, you can read it. Can we? God is sovereign and God has plans that will do us good. We can cling to those things in times of difficulty. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How would he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? Amen. God is so, so good. Even in the tough times, God is good. Because he has been good. He is good. And he will be good. Because God is unchanging, isn't he? It's not like me when I wake up and it's a rainy day and I'm happy. Then it's a rainy day the next day and I'm sad. God is constant, unchanging. The same yesterday, today and forever. Every good gift, it says in James, every good gift and perfect gift is from above. 
coming down from the Father of lights. Every blessing, every good thing in our lives, no matter how big or small, is a gift from God of kindness and of grace. But the greatest of God's blessing, the number one, the top thing, the thing to cling to through anything is this. Once we were dead. If you're a Christian here today, we were dead spiritually. We were like Lazarus, helpless, bound, trapped in darkness. We were trapped in our sin, trapped in selfishness, trapped in misery, trapped in insecurities and addictions and weaknesses and helplessness. But God spoke. God intervened. God came and snatched us from one kingdom into the other. Amen? That is the God that we serve. God says, come out. Lazarus, come out to us. Come out. He raised us from the dead and he gave us new life. Our God is in the business of raising the dead. That's what he does. He raises the dead. No situation, no circumstances, too hopeless or too much. Like Lazarus, he raised him from the dead. He's done it once for us already. Why will he not speak and intervene again? Why will he not? We can draw comfort in our difficulties by remembering three things about God. Firstly, he is a God who reigns. He is in charge. Secondly, he is a God who loves us passionately. Number three, he is a God who speaks, who acts, who intervenes. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much for who you are and what you have done. God, I want to thank you that you are seated on the throne and you are the most high. You are in charge. I want to thank you that you are in control. You reign, you rule, and we can draw comfort from that, even in difficult times. God, I want to thank you that you love us. I want to thank you that whilst we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Lord, we know you love us because you gave us your son. Lord, That gives us comfort in difficult times. You gave us the most precious thing to you. We know that you're with us now. And God, I want to thank you that you are a God who acts, who intervenes, who who steps in and changes things. God, we know that because we can look at our lives. We've all got stories of where you have intervened. God, we want to thank you. You are amazing. And God, I want to pray for people here this morning who are in those seasons of difficulty, those seasons of life where... They're suffering, where it's hard, where it's tough, where they're questioning. God, I pray, would you comfort them as we come now to worship you, as we come to break bread? Would you draw close to them, God of all comfort? Would you shower them with mercy and kindness? In Jesus' name. Can the band come up, please? Preaching a word on suffering and trials and difficulties is a very, very hard thing to do, because you know, and I know, there are people here who will be going through difficulty and trials and suffering. I'm I'm aware there are many people who are going to relate to a number of things I've said. And as I've been speaking, been knowing, what about me? What about me? What about this? And I'd like us as a people to respond. As I said, the most appropriate way through times of difficulty is by making God the centre and letting him 
minister to us. And so I want us as a people to come back and worship our King, worship our God. And then on that we're going to break bread. And there's certain groups of people that I'd like to pray for as well. But first, we're going to worship, we're going to break bread, and it's going to lead us.